your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to direct your attention this morning to one verse. That's verse 18. Would you follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, you'd help us today with the Word of God. And as we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we consider the penalty for sin, the price that he paid with His own life and His own blood. And Lord, I pray that You would use Your Word to draw men to Jesus Christ today. And You promised, Lord, if, that we would lift up Jesus Christ if we would exalt Him. Lord, that You would draw all men to Him. And Lord, we seek to exalt Christ in this place today. And Lord, I pray that we would worship Him and honor Him. And Lord, that we would in turn love Him. Uh, Lord, for first You loved us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In one of the songs that we sang this morning, uh, Give Your Best to the Master, the last verse talked about how He laid down His life as a ransom and how um, He set the example and so on. And, and we're going to talk this morning about uh, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the title of the message this morning is The Suffering Savior. And there are five things that Peter affirms, important facts, about the death of Jesus Christ that I want to draw out in this message this morning. And I'm not going to take a lot of time with introductory type things. We're just going to break in this verse down. We're going to unpack it, and we're going to make application for us today. Let's read the verse again. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The first thing that I want you to note with me here in this verse regarding the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is that it was, first of all, a horrible death. Notice how the Bible says that Christ suffered for sins. The word suffered in verse 18, it speaks not just of physical death, but it speaks of awesome suffering. The word itself means passion. The word itself means to feel or to vex. Now, many of you remember long ago uh, a movie that Mel Gibson produced called The Passion of the Christ. And I used to never really understand or know what that exactly meant, the passion of the Christ. It's a term that many of you have probably heard many, many times. Um, but the, the word passion means suffering. And so, and if you remember that film, I never saw it myself and I still haven't to this day, but I do know a lot of things about it. But what, what I remember at the time was that Mel Gibson got a lot of flack for uh, that film because of how gruesome it was, because of the graphic nature of the film. And I remember that it was widely criticized because of its brutality and how it depicted the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also remember that in response to all of that criticism, Mel Gibson uh, produced or released a recut version 
of that film. And that film was six minutes shorter. And what it did was it cut out part of the scourging scenes and some of the brutal scenes of the crucifixion, changing some of the audio and changing some of the angles. And the, and the idea was to, to lessen the shock of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. 2,000 years ago, nobody could soften the shock of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. What they did to Jesus Christ was far worse than any Hollywood movie could ever portray. And I'm not going to go into the details, and we've done that before at various times, uh, just highlighting uh, the, the, the cruel, brutal nature of crucifixion. The Romans didn't invent it, but they sure perfected it. And truly, when the Bible says that Christ suffered for sins, it's not lying. There was real suffering. But I also want to tell you, the real suffering of Jesus Christ was not the pain and the brutality of the crucifixion. The real suffering of Jesus Christ was not the fact that he would put, they would put nails in his hands and his feet. The real suffering of Jesus Christ and the vexing of Christ was not the physical pain and the torture that he would endure. I'm telling you, friends, that the, re the, the real suffering was the fact that he who knew no sin would become sin for you and me. Do you remember in the garden, we'll look at a passage in just a minute, but do you remember in the garden where Jesus was praying to God the Father and He said, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And He says, if there's any other way for sin to be forgiven, let this cup pass from me. But He said, nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. He surrendered and yielded. But He wasn't fearing the pain of the cross. When He was sweating great drops, as it were, of blood, He wasn't fearing the pain of the cross. It was the fact that He knew He was going to take the sin of the world on Himself. That he who knew no sin would become sin for us. The Bible says that God is of purer eyes, that he cannot even behold sin. The, the, the pain or the vexing or the passion or the suffering was in the fact that he was going to take your sin on his own shoulders. The horror was not in the pain. He would be made sin for us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me when we consider the suffering Savior and the horrible death He died certainly there was great physical pain crucifixion was a horrible death but it was much deeper than that 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says for He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What a wondrous exchange, friend. We don't have any righteousness. All we have is sin. He made Him to be sin for us, and we got the righteousness of Christ in return. Go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and I want you to see in verse 41 with me. Luke 22, verse 41. And we'll read down to verse 44. The Bible says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. The Bible tells us again of the agony of the Lord Jesus Christ before he ever went to the cross, anticipating becoming sin of the whole world. And so we understand when the Bible says in our text in 1 Peter chapter 3, you can turn back there in verse 18, where the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The Bible's not lying when it says there was real suffering of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to draw out of this verse about the death of Jesus Christ is that it was a sacrificial death. I want you to notice this, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. You see those two words? For sins. He died. The reason he died was for sins. But note carefully how Peter puts it. He did not die for his own sins, for he never sinned. He was the only perfect man who ever lived. Jesus died for our sins. Again, this is a wondrous exchange. The penalty for sin is death. The penalty, listen friend, the penalty for the lies that you tell, the penalty for the thoughts that you think, the penalty for the, the deceit and the lying and the cheating and the stealing and, the, and, the, and, and all of the, the thoughts in your mind that nobody knows about, the penalty for that is death. All of that is breaking God's law. That's what sin is, the breaking of God's law. When you tell a lie, friend, you break God's law. And you know what? There's no such thing as a little white lie and a big lie. There's no such thing. We categorize sin so often, don't we? We look at the bad things, and in our mind, we're like, oh, here's the, here's the really bad ones over here. And I would never do something like that. And over here, you know, a little lie, a little deceit, a little whatever over here. It's not that big a deal. And nobody knows what, the, what goes on in my mind anyway. So that makes it okay. If people could see it, well, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, we justify all kinds of things with the big sins and the little sins. We don't like to think about the hypocrisy. We don't like to think about the gossip. We don't like to think about the critical nature or spirits that we have. We don't think about those things. Those things are all justifiable. But the really bad ones, there's no such thing in God's mind and in God's eyes. No such thing. And God is of purer eyes that He can't even behold sin. He cannot look on it. He's horrified by it. And the problem with you and me is that we're not horrified by it. Oh, we're horrified by the bad things, right? But all the things that we justify. But everyone breaks the law of God, and everyone of those sins has to be judged. Jesus Christ didn't have any sin, but the Bible says he died for sins the sin of the whole world. In Isaiah chapter 53, just keep your place here. Isaiah chapter 53. See, we like to justify and we like to think of ourselves as pretty good people because we haven't done those bad ones. 
But one single lie, friend, one single breaking of God's law, the Bible says you've broken the law of God in one area, it's as if you've broken all of them. It doesn't justify anything. We do that to make ourselves feel good. But it's not true in the eyes of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 8, the Bible says this, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. For his knowledge, or by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You notice those words in there? He's going to bear their iniquities. This was a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ and how he would die. And the Bible says it pleased God to bruise him, the one who knew no sin, to die in your place. The Bible says that he hath put him to grief and he would make his soul an offering for sin. The Bible says he would see the travail of his soul and God would be satisfied for the payment of sin. What I'm saying is his death was a sacrificial death. He died in your place. He died in my place. He died to pay the penalty for every one of those sins where you break God's law. Some of you might be in here feeling a little uncomfortable this morning. Good, you should. You need to be. You need to be very uncomfortable because, listen, the problem with mankind is we do not admit what we really are. We like to justify ourselves. I'm religious. I go to church. I have some kind of profession. You know, I think I'm a pretty good person. <coughs> I'm right with God. Me and the big guy, we've got a vibe. And we offer all these things up to God. See? How good I am. And yet the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that all of us are an unclean thing in the eyes of God. That's you. Amen. <coughs> I need to stop yelling. <coughs> Too bad I won't. <clears throat> Lord, fix my voice. Look in Luke, excuse me, Luke, no, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And the Bible says here in 1 John 2, in verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, 
but also for the sins of the whole world. Notice how the Bible says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. You know what that word means? Somebody tell me. Anybody know? It means appeasement. In other words, what it's telling us <clears throat> is that God is angry over sin. God is angry with you. God's angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says. God's angry over the fact that sin exists and every sin must be judged. But He, Christ, is the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. Amen? Amen. And not for ours only, but the sin of the whole world. The death of Christ was a sacrificial death. You and I deserve death. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is, right? A wage is something you earn. You go to your job every day and you work a job and you've agreed with your boss to work this many hours for this much pay and it's something that you deserve. Would it be just and right for you not to get a paycheck at the end of the week or every two weeks? Would it be just and right for your boss to say, hey, thanks for coming in for all the work you did these last two weeks. We'll see you next time. And you're standing there like, hey, buddy, uh, I deserve this. We agreed on this. I worked all of these hours. Now pay me what you owe me. That would be right and fair, right? Oh, but when it comes to the wages of sin, what you earn, what you deserve for your sin is what? Death, the Bible says. You deserve it. I deserve it. We earned it for what we did. We deserve the judgment of God. But He, Christ, is the appeasement of God's wrath. Amen. And the Bible told us, which we read in Isaiah 53, that God would see the travail of His soul and would be satisfied. He died in your place. He died in mine. He's the only one who ever could because He's the only one who lived a sinless life. You know, you might be here today and you might be religious. I don't know what background you have, where you come from. But I know there's mainstream religions out there. Catholicism, for example. Where you have to go and you have to do some penance and you have to get in a little booth and you have to confess your sin to a priest who's on the other side and he hears all the things you confess and he says, I absolve you of your sins. You know, no man could ever do that. No man could ever absolve you of your sin. <coughs> Pardon me. Why is that? Because he's a sinful man himself. There's only one who ever could. The sinless God-man, Jesus Christ. Who knew no sin. And he became sin for us. What a wondrous exchange. I can hardly fathom it. I can hardly believe it. That God would love me. That He would Himself die in my place when I'm the one who should have hung on that cross. I should have suffered and died. It was a sacrificial death. He died for sins. Thirdly, 
Before we get to that, let's read one other verse in 1 John chapter 3. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm getting over the cold. It doesn't sound like I'm getting over it, though, does it? <laughs> 1 John chapter 3, in verse 5. And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. The reason, the reason... Jesus Christ came to this world was to take away our sin. He was manifested for this cause, for this reason. And in Him is no sin. So we find, first of all, that it was a horrible death. He suffered, but it was taking the sin of the world on Himself. It was a sacrificial death. He took our place. Thirdly, it was an unrepeatable death. Go back to our text and notice how the Bible says here, in verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. It was an unrepeatable death. The Bible says that he once suffered for sins. Oh, thank you, sweetie. That was very thoughtful. Like, what's happening here? And she saved the day. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> it was very kind. Thank you. When Peter says that he died, the Bible says that he died once for sins. The Bible also says that the death of Christ was a once-for-all sacrifice. And what he means is that Christ's death was sufficient for all time, Amen. and therefore it could not be repeated by anybody else. And you know what? That was necessary. It was necessary for that to be the case. And it was only possible through Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, we talked about this a little bit, the Old Testament sacrifices, how the priest would go into the Holy of Holies once every year, and he would take the blood of the, of the bull, and he would, he would bring the, the, the blood of that sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, which represented the very presence of God. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat and make atonement for the sins of the people. And he would do that once every year. And that atonement was a rolling over of the sin of the people into the next year. And again, at the same time, the priest would go in and he would sprinkle the blood again and it would roll the sin over of the people. And what it was was a foreshadowing and it was a picture of the spotless Lamb of God. I should say the blood of the Lamb is what I should say. I think I said bull. But it was the picture of the blood of the Lamb of God and in the very presence of God. And we read in Hebrews how Jesus Christ doesn't enter into temples made with hands, but into heaven itself, into the very presence of God. And His own blood was put on the mercy seat once and for all to take away the sin of the world. Could never be done again. Could never be repeated. Not even Christ Himself could die again for sin. God's plan was a perfect plan. And when the blood of bulls and of goats and of lambs, what they could never do, Jesus did in His death on the cross, and He did it once and for all. In John chapter 19, turn over there. John 19 with me, please. In verse 30, I want you to note this with me. <coughs> in John chapter 19... In verse 30, the Bible says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, 
it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That word finished in John 19.30 is the Greek word teleo. And it means to end. It means to complete. It means the full discharge of a debt. That's what it means. It means stamped, paid in full. He said it's finished. It's over. It's complete. It's paid in full. What was paid in full? The sin debt that you and I could never pay. Jesus died on the Jewish Passover. And scholars suggest that during the Jewish Passover, an estimated 250,000 sheep would be killed every single year on the Passover. You can imagine the great river of blood that would have created. And I've read things about that, how during the Passover, the streets would run with blood because of not having right, you know, not irrigation, that's not the right word, but having right drainage and enough water and things like that. Sometimes that would happen. And how the, the brook outside of Jerusalem would turn red during the Passover because of all the blood of all of the lambs that were slain. But you know that great river of animal blood could never duplicate what Jesus accomplished when He died on the cross with His own blood. The point I'm making here is this. You don't have to pay for your own sin. If you'll repent of your sin and receive the gift of God, God's judgment and wrath is appeased. Why will people die in their sin? Why will people spend eternity in the lake of fire in torment? Why will they do that? Well, my friend, it won't be because there's not a sufficient payment. It won't be because of that. Because Jesus died once for all to take away the sin of the world. It was an unrepeatable death. It was a sacrificial death. It was a horrible death. And fourthly, It was a substitutionary death. Notice back in our text, please, in 1 Peter 3, in verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Do you see the substitution here? The one who is just died for the unjust. His death was the just for the unjust. In other words, He took our place. In other words, He bore our shame. In other words, He paid the price for my sin. Let me illustrate something. How many of you have heard of the bad news, good news method of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Anybody heard of that? Okay, there's a few of you. The first point of the good news is that Christ died for us. Amen? And the scripture that is often used is Romans 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth or proved His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. How do we know God's love? Because those who are haters of God, those who deny God, those who are sinners, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know the love of God. That's a wonderful truth. Amen? That's a wonderful truth. But how do you explain it to people? That God would do that. That He would send His Son. That He would die while we're yet sinners. How do you explain that? Well, you can explain it in a number of ways, but you can use an illustration when you're talking with someone about Christ. Let's just illustrate it this way. Let's suppose that you have cancer. And your cancer is so far progressed that the doctors have told you there's no hope for you. We've done all that we can do. There's no chance of your survival. There's absolutely nothing left for us to try. All methods of treatment have been exhausted. There's nothing else they can do. You're going to die. And unless a miracle happens, it's going to be very soon. So, that's your situation, but I come along and I say to you, I'd like to help you out. I want to take every single one of your cancer cells out of your body, and I want to put them in my body. You might look at me or whoever that is with a mixture of puzzlement, a little incredulous maybe, but inside, if there was a chance for that to be so, you'd also be full of joy. Incredible joy. The very thing that is killing you is about to be removed from your body. After you say that to a person that you're talking to, then you ask this question. If that were a possible thing, what would then happen to me and what would happen to you? You following me? The answer is that I would end up dying and you could live. Why? Because I took the very thing that was causing your death and placed it on myself and I died in your place. You say, well, that's a silly illustration. It might be a silly illustration, but it illustrates exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. He took the penalty for our sin, which is death, the very thing that is killing us, the very thing that's condemned us already to death. Jesus Christ took on himself. And listen, it's joyful that it's removed from me, but it cost him everything when he didn't need to. And I guarantee you he, that you and I don't deserve it. Sometimes Christian people get this way. We've been saved by the grace of God. We always rejoice in that. It's the grace of God I am what I am, right? And we've been saved for a long time, but we start to get into this mode or this pattern that, you know, I'm living this righteous and holy life, 
And I'm so much better than everybody else out there. And I would never say that with my words, but that's how I live sometimes. And sometimes it's like, you know what? I've been saved a long time and we kind of get this mode where God's got something really good when he got me. And the point I'm making is we're not as thankful and grateful unto the Lord for what he did for me. We lose sight of it. You remember when you were first saved and you were just overjoyed with the fact that my sin is forgiven. The burden of sin is gone. Remember that? And sadly, because of our sin nature, we lose the gloriousness of the fact that God saved my wretched soul. That's what I was, a wretched soul. Not something deserving of God's love. Not only is the sin removed from me, but it cost him his very life. That's what Jesus did. It explains for us why Christ had to die. Couldn't God just remove sin? Couldn't he just speak a word and just remove sin? No, the wages of sin is death. He had to die. Otherwise, God would not be a just God. It explains why Christ had to die. He didn't die as a good example. He didn't die to teach us how to live a life or how to die graciously. He died because He took our punishment on Himself. And friend, you might be here this morning and you still abide under the wrath of God. God's wrath is hanging over you. And in pride and in your self-righteousness or whatever it is, you sit there with, a, with an unbelieving heart, a skeptical heart, a skeptical mind, or you sit there with pride in your heart saying that I'm okay with God when in reality your soul is wretched and you deserve the judgment of God. But you won't admit it because somehow you think there's some goodness in you. Friend, the judgment of God is coming. And only Christ can be the appeasement of God's wrath. The very thing that is causing your death, Jesus Christ took on Himself. He died because He took our punishment. It explains for us how God could be just, meaning that every sin is paid for, and that he's the justifier of them that believe. Amen? Amen. That's what the Bible says, that God is just, and he's the justifier of them that believe. How can it be? Because he took it on himself and died in our place. The sin is paid for, and God's wiped it away. There's a chorus. I used to sing this all the time. I used to go on mission trips with my grandfather in Mexico when I was younger, and I'll never forget the words of this song because my grandfather sang it all the time. And we'd get on this bus and we'd drive across the border into Mexico and we'd go to these villages and we'd hand out gospel tracts and we'd invite people to come to the the town square uh, and 
we're going to show a, a, a Christian film about the death of Christ. And so we'd, we'd go into these uh, villages and, and, and uh, walk around the neighborhoods and so on, and we'd invite people. I, I always remember the words I was supposed to say. That's how I learned Spanish. Michelle can correct me if I'm wrong here. But we would say, Les invitamos a una película esta noche en la cancha. What did I just say? Yeah, the basketball court was always the town square, the town center. See, I wasn't wrong, was I? That's what we would do. I remember it. And we'd invite people to come. But on our way, I don't know how to get onto that. Oh, because on our way, we on the bus, and my grandfather would always get everybody to sing this song. And the song was called, He Paid a Debt. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. (coughs) Christ Jesus paid the debt. And someday he's coming back for me, the song goes on. What a glorious day that will be. But it's only because he paid a debt that he did not owe, and I owed a debt I could never pay. You can't pay your sin debt. Not with works. A lot of religions teach a work salvation. If you do this, and you do that, and you're in church here, and you're there at this particular time, and you do all of these things that somehow that pleases God. And we offer up all these things as payment for our sin. That surely God's going to be pleased with me because I do these things. There's nothing you could ever do. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There's nothing I could ever offer up. Jesus Christ paid the debt. It was a substitutionary death. And friend, if you don't receive the gift of God, you will pay for your sin. But it'll be for all eternity in the lake of fire. Judgment. You know, God's wrath is absolutely just and right and fair. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Amen. That song, I was giving the words to, it said, I needed someone to wash my sin away. But now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace the whole day long because Christ paid the debt that I could never pay. What a wonderful truth. And so Peter says, Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And here's the reason why. Go back to our text. The Bible says that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You know the reason that Jesus Christ died? 
that he might bring us to God. And the fifth thing that I want to point out here is that Christ's death was a reconciling death. A reconciling death. He was put to death to bring us to God. That was the very reason. He died for our sins. He died in our place that He might bring us to God. In the Old Testament, when you read about the temple or you read about the tabernacle, you read about the fact that there was this thick veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies. And we read about how that veil was there for a reason. And nobody could go into the Holy of Holies. There was a barrier, a block that kept people from the presence of God. And that veil was a visual reminder that nobody except the high priest could come into the presence of God. And he could only do that once a year. And only on the Day of Atonement. And not without blood. Because if he came without blood, he himself would die. Well, when Jesus died on the cross... And his blood was shed. The Bible tells us that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Notice, let's go, let's look at a couple passages. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And look at verse 50. Matthew 27, please, in verse 50 and 51. Let's back up just... A little bit in verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. (coughs) The Bible tells us here, that that veil in the temple, <clears throat> that thick curtain that separated between the Holy of Holies, it was rent from the top to the bottom. And the Bible tells us as well. In fact, let's look at a couple other passages first. Ephesians chapter 2, go over there. Ephesians chapter 2, please. And look at verse 13. <clears throat> The Bible says, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. In so much, I'm in Galatians, I'm sorry. Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Well, thank you. I'm getting cared for all over the place. Appreciate that. Contextually, what this is talking about is the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews hated Gentiles. They had nothing to do with them. But in Christ Jesus, that wall of partition that was between you, that, that, that kept you enemies and kept you opposites, it's been broken down. And Christ has made in himself of twain one new man. In the Lord's church, there are no divides like that. That's what he's talking about, okay? It's abolished. 
And notice this, though, in verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. He says here in Christ Jesus, the only reason that any of you have access to God is because of Jesus Christ. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. He says we have boldness to enter into the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus Christ. We know in the Old Testament that nobody could go there except for the high priest, and he had to go with blood. Well, here's the thought. Jesus is our great high priest. And in his own body, he was the Lamb of God. He shed his blood, and when he died, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And it signifies that the way of access to God has been made open because of Jesus Christ for you and for me. You know what? You're not saved, and you don't have access to God because you're a good person. You don't have access to God because you're religious. You don't have access to God because I'm something special. Nobody has access to God. And the only reason that you can have a relationship with God is because of Jesus Christ and His shed blood. You know what? In, in the Old Testament times, when, when there was a king who ruled over an empire, over a nation, you know what? You, don't, you didn't get the privilege. You don't have the right to just walk into the presence of the king. If somebody walked into the court of the king and just walked into his presence uninvited, off with the head! You had to be escorted. You had to be invited into the presence of the king. How much more with God the Father? You don't get to come into the presence of God unless you're invited because of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Because of him, we're clothed with his righteousness. And when God looks at me now, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. I can come into his presence before his throne. I can say, Father, I need your grace and I need your help. And he looks at me as his son. What a great privilege. You do not deserve. But because of the substitutionary death of Christ, and because of the blood of Christ, we can be reconciled to God. And I need to make another point here. In our sin, we're enemies of God. We're at odds with God. And that's what you and I are in our natural state. We're born into this world enemies of God. That's not the way God wants it to be. But through the death of His Son, we can be reconciled to God. 
made an agreement with him. And not because God has come to make agreements with us. No, 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 no. We recognize our sin, our guilt, and we say, I agree with you, God. And in a repentant heart, we ask God to wash away that sin. And because of Jesus Christ, He can take all of that sin and move it out of the way and bring us to Himself. Jesus died to bring us to God. It opens the door for anyone who comes to God. You and I can have access and we can have an audience with the God of all creation, all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God because of Jesus Christ. One more passage of the Scripture, Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 and verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It tells us that we were enemies of God, but now we're sons of God. And we're reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Does your soul know peace with God, friend? It's not because of any religion. It's not because of any good works that you've done. In your sinful state, you're an enemy of God and you deserve the judgment and wrath of God. Let me ask you this question. You say that you're a Christian. You say that you know God. When was the day that you repented of your sin? When was the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know what the word repentance means? I've asked lots of people who say they're saved. When did you repent of your sin? And they're like, I don't even know what that word means. If you don't know what the word repentance means, how in the world could you possibly do it? And how could you possibly be saved? The Bible requires repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Why repentance toward God? Repentance means a change of mind. It means a change of heart. It's a change of attitude that leads to an action. It's a heart condition that God looks at. Repentance is a changing of the mind about your sin and about your religion and about your self-righteousness and about your works. It's about acknowledging who you are and it's a change of mind about you. I don't want to be me anymore. My repentance toward Because who I am is an offense to God. That's why it's repentance toward God. I've offended you. I've broken your law. I deserve your judgment. And I am sorry. That's repentance toward God. For what I've done. And who I am. And my offense to you. And faith toward Jesus Christ. Why faith toward Jesus Christ? Because only His blood could ever pay for my sin. And I believe that what He did was the price for my sin. And so it's repentance toward God, I'm sorry. Faith in Jesus Christ and His shed blood for me. I believe that and I receive it. That's what's required for salvation. When did you do that? Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. No one's always been a Christian. It's called being born again. When were you born spiritually the second time? 
Just like you have a physical birthday, you were born at a particular time, on a particular day, you came into this world, that was your physical birth. Being born again, the spiritual birth, it happened at a moment in time when you chose to yield your life to the Lord and you repented to God. When did that happen? And if it happened, then your life changed. So the question is, has your life changed? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know what? People don't get saved and become a Christian and stay the same. Right. It's not possible. Amen. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says you're created after Him, after Christ. And you have a new nature and your whole life changes. Amen. When did it change? If it hasn't changed, you've never been converted. You've got some religion, but you don't have a relationship. Are you truly saved? Well, you can be. I think what hap- needs to happen is that many times people need to just admit what they really are. That they're still lost. And they've never truly been born again the Bible way. They don't know this new life in Jesus Christ. They've got a bunch of religion and good works and they keep justifying themselves. I'm, I'm okay with God. But no, you're not. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can. And you can believe what the Word of God says, that He died for your sin to bring you to God. To reconcile you to God. It can happen today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you'd use your word today to draw men to Jesus Christ. There are some here who've never truly been saved or converted. They've never experienced the reconciliation of their soul to God. They might have a profession or some religion, but none of that will ever do. It will never justify us before God. There needs to be a heart of humility and surrender and repentance and faith. So Lord, would you draw people to Jesus Christ today? And for those that are already saved, saints of God, may we rejoice in what Christ has done. May we remember again the awful price that was paid for my sin. May it cause us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.